Welcome to Economics Echo, the podcast that provides in-depth analysis of the latest economic data, business trends, and market-moving policies, zooming in on how this all affects ordinary people. With lockdown restrictions slowly but surely retreating and the irreversible reopening roadmap fully underway, What are the micro and macro economic effects of opening up after such a long period shut down? Will we see consumption from households immediately get a bounce? Will businesses raise prices or bring them down in order to entice everyone to spend? And then what will the overall impact be on the broader economy? All of this and much more coming up. Okay, so the reopening roadmap. Where are we? Where are we going? And um, how's it going so far? So yeah, the Prime Minister, Mr. Boris Johnson, announced a new four-step plan to ease England's lockdown. Now, this podcast episode will fortunately or unfortunately be solely focused on lockdown's easing program i know you know england is part of the united kingdom and the united kingdom the uk is a diverse sovereign state with three other nations so uh sorry to wales scotland and northern ireland no disrespect but um this will be solely focused on the english um lockdown plans lockdown easing plans shall we say So, yes, the Prime Minister announced that um, all legal limits on social contact plan to be lifted by the 21st of June if, and it's a big if, strict conditions are met. Now, the Prime Minister announced this in the House of Commons at Westminster, of course, and he told MPs that the plan aimed to be, quote, cautious but irreversible and at every stage decisions would be led by data and not dates. End quote. So speaking of dates, let's look at the key dates surrounding this English lockdown easing program, shall we? And uh, we'll kick it off with step number one. It's only natural. So uh, step number one, believe it or not, actually began last month on the 8th of March, to be exact. And uh, we saw schools reopen. Outdoor after school sports clubs were allowed again. Two people were allowed to sit together outdoors. Uh, Care home residents allowed one regular visitor as well. And then fast forward a few weeks to the end of March, still in step one. Six people or two households were allowed to meet outdoors. Outdoor sports facilities could reopen as well as outdoor or should I say organized sports. So... You know, think of grassroots football, for example, that was permitted to uh, re-engage again. Travel outside your local area was allowed. And then we move on to step number two. Now, this uh, began last week, actually, on the 12th of April, whereby non-essential retail and personal care could open. So personal care, we're, of course, talking about uh, barbers, hairdressers, nail salons, tattoo parlors, etc., and uh, hospitality could reopen outdoors, so pubs, you know, beer gardens, etc. 
indoor leisure, for example, gyms, swimming pools could open again. Self-contained holiday accommodation. Yep, they can open again. All in step number two. Step number three. Now, this uh, will happen on the 17th of May, only about a month away, whereby outdoors, most social contact rules will be lifted. Now, that means six people or two households can meet indoors as well. Indoor hospitality and hotels could open as well. And then the final step. Step number four of this four point plan, this irreversible but cautious gradual plan to reopen the, the English economy almost said British there English economy uh, will begin or will end shall I say on the 21st of June whereby essentially all legal limits on social contact will be eradicated removed forever hopefully and uh, there is also a hope that there will be um, a reopening of the final closed sectors of the economy. Now, remember when I said, um, you know, this is all contingent on the fact that the strict conditions are met. Now, let's look at those conditions and they, they again fall into a four into four steps or four conditions that the government has to consider um, as we go along this reopening roadmap. And one of the conditions is that the vaccine program uh, continues to go according to plan. So far, it is. So far, so good. Number two uh, condition for lockdown easing, there has to be clear evidence that shows vaccines are reducing debts and the numbers requiring hospital, hospital uh, or hospitality treatment. Condition number three. Infection rates uh, do not risk surge in hospi hospital admissions. And then finally, condition number four, the new COVID variants that we're seeing, you know, in Brazil, other countries, South Africa, etc. Hopefully they won't change the risk um, of lifting restrictions. So those are the four conditions or the four, four caveats that, you know, the government and the prime minister have to kind of play with and work with as they um you know guide the the country essentially uh through this reopening roadmap as they make key decisions at every turn and of course they're saying you know they're guided by the data and not the dates and we'll see how that all works out in the end now to fully understand the microeconomic impact of England's reopening roadmap, we really have to look at three specific entities and how they're faring so far, plus what to expect in the near future. One of those entities on the demand side of the economy is, of course, consumers and households. Second, we have industries on the supply side. And then finally, specific businesses in particular sectors so consumers and households now if we kind of think about this rationally and economics does assume that human beings are rational but you know as um, we both know there are times when human beings do make irrational decisions um, more times than not in some cases but um the thing i'm trying to 
point to here is the fact that, you know, of course, we have the economy that was shut down for months and, you know, you weren't able to go to your favorite restaurant, your favorite pub, your favorite cafe, um, hairdressers, um, you know, you had to kind of take care of that yourselves and you weren't really spending your money um, as much as you would do pre-pandemic. Now, of course, you may be spending your money through online means, um, ordering through Amazon, um, shopping on ASOS, whatever the case may be, um, for other items that are available online. But even so, in this environment, you're probably more inclined to save your money. And it's this savings um, glut, if you like, which has cause so much optimism and enthusiasm among economists that once things reopen again and get back to normal perhaps we'll see these household savings um, that have been building up during the lockdown um, period to eventually be splurged into the economy and then we'll see like a huge rebound in consumption essentially um, and one of those economists who um, kind of was pushing this narrative was, of course, the Bank of England's very own chief economist, Mr. Andy Haldane. Now, he um, he argued that um, there's about £150 billion worth of savings that have been accumulated over the past year, over the past year since 2020 when the pandemic hit. And mostly by, this has been mostly accumulated by higher income households, and he was saying that um, the UK economy could see a, quote, rip-roaring recovery, even if consumers spend just a bit of the additional savings they have accumulated during the COVID crisis. And he now expects, um, no, the Monetary Policy Committee, which where he works out and is part of um, at the Bank of England, were saying they're expecting at least 5% of that £150 billion worth of money that's kind of like under the bed, if you like, um, in people's households and just been saved away to be spent. And just even if it was just 5% of that, they're seeing, they're expecting just a huge pickup in consumption that could be so beneficial to the UK economy. Now, Mr. Haldane actually mentioned these comments on um, ITV on Robert Peston's um, show, I think it was. And um, he actually said, and I quote, when it comes, it will come fast and it will be large, end quote. So you can see the enthusiasm that uh, Mr. Haldane has surrounding this kind of um, this money that's been that's been saved and will eventually just be poured out and splurged in the economy once things get back up and running again. And, um, but my question is if most of this money has been accumulated by um, higher income households um, and higher income households tend to have a lower marginal propensity to consume than lower income households, um, then what if those high income households just don't really consume all that money and they don't spend it all at once kind of thing? And, you know, that 5% that the Monetary Policy Committee is expecting or hoping for will be splurged onto the economy. Maybe it's much lower than that and it won't come to that particular figure. And then what happens then?
It'll be interesting to see, but either way, though, you can see why there's room for optimism on this front, on the consumption, like driving the recovery forward and, uh, yeah, getting us back to that light at the end of the tunnel and better days ahead sort of thing. But I think overall, those hopes for optimism when it comes to, you know, consumption really driving the recovery forward um, are justified. Just because of what we saw last week when non-retail stores were permitted to reopen back up again. And um, we saw this translating in the fact that shoppers were flocking back to high streets. Um, you know, high street footfall had nearly doubled from a year earlier. There were queues forming outside Primark, JD stores, TK Maxx. You know, there were queues outside Selfridges in London and Birmingham, TK Maxx in Cardiff, Wales, uh, JD Sports in Newcastle and many other towns and cities across England. And there was this narrative of revenge. Was it revenge purchases or something like that? You know, just this pent up demand that households had in just getting back onto the high street, going to their favorite shops, restaurants, uh, bars, pubs, etc. And just doing what they used to do pre-pandemic, essentially. And when it comes to retail, we saw this translate in footfall across all UK shopping destinations was up 87.8% week on week last week. And, um, you know, Springboard said footfall across high streets, retail parks and shopping centres was up, get this, 330% from um, the 11th of April to the 17th of April versus the same week a year ago. Um, We particularly saw like rises in the East Midlands, Southeast England and Southwest. Uh, They saw the greatest demand. However, despite the surge, overall demand remained 25% below, you know, 2019 levels, which was, of course, pre-pandemic. And it wasn't just high streets reaping the rewards of England's lockdown reopening or easing, should I say, Um, because we also saw holiday bookings surge immediately after the Prime Minister announced plans to reopen again. We saw holiday firms and airlines from all shapes and sizes reporting surges in bookings. You know, there was uh, Thomas Cook. They said... um, traffic to its website was up over 100 percent on that the following monday from the prime minister's announcements with bookings flooding in for countries such as greece cyprus mexico the dominican republic like crazy easyjet they reported a 337 percent surge in flight bookings and a 630 percent jump in holiday bookings for locations such as Alicante, Malaga, Palmo, Faro, Crete. They were just overwhelmed by just the the sheer like the sheer pent up demand. There's no other way to put it. The pent up demand of everyone just trying to catch a break out there. And including Tui. They also said their bookings for July onwards had soared various destinations. So on the consumption front, the way you look Wherever you look for high streets, holiday bookings, um, travel, whatever it is, um, yeah, consumers are ready to get out there and spend some of that um, £150 billion that has been just been 
say um, sitting there and just accumulating over the past year. From the perspective of industries, particularly, uh, I just picked out the travel and tourism industry and how they're kind of reacting and how they're faring with this reopening or lockdown easing program that's underway. I think it's a mixed bag for the travel and tourism industry, just simply because you kind of have to distinguish between domestic travel and international travel, right? Because domestically, yes, things are kind of um, reopening back up again. You know, hotels, um, particular, I don't know, national, uh, do we have national parks in England? Nas- <laughs> national parks, um, holiday homes, whatever, um, Airbnbs, they can go back and do their thing again, uh, cottage owners, whatever it is, um, tourist attractions, museums, etc. They can kind of um, reap more from the reopening roadmap that the Prime Minister has put in place. When it comes to international travel, that's a bit more complex because you kind of have to, or should I say the the government has to liaise with other nations on that front. It's not simply a case of, oh yeah, uh, yeah, we're reopening international travel too because things are kind of uncertain in the rest of the world too. The the virus is certainly not, um, you know, been eradicated by any means. We have, of course, these new variants um, that are just springing up all over the place and how we deal with that particularly um, is important when it comes to international travel. So on that front, I think it depends how you look at it on, with that particular industry. I know there's a lot of hope and optimism with travel and tourism uh, with this lockdown easing plan, but um, it's a bit more nuanced and complex than that. I know the government has set up um, a um, international travel task force to kind of assess the risks um, with like reopening borders, etc., um, to particular countries and we have this kind of um, traffic light system of like red countries where you can't travel like India was like there's like a huge crisis right now uh, when it comes to COVID and Brazil etc so yeah it's a bit more complex international travel but domestically yeah things are looking up there is light at the end of the tunnel and um, hopefully they can actually reap more um, than they did, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, keeping more of those consumers from going abroad and they can stay and uh, spend their money and spend their time more in, in their domestically, in their countries and in their towns and cities across the country. <laughs> but at the same time, it doesn't seem like consumers really care because people are just booking holidays, getaways, left, right and center all over the world. As far as the Dominican Republic, they don't care. They're just eager to get out there. And potentially that's beneficial to these airlines, um, you know, your Airbnbs, etc. So, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong on the international travel front. Perhaps, you know, things will pick up a bit on, on, uh, on that front. And, you know, the vaccines do their work and we get back to normal faster. Who knows? Okay, still on the topic of the microeconomic impact. When it comes to businesses, I picked out gyms, in particular the chain Pure Gym. Because, you know, earlier this week they reported that 
more than 1 million workouts took place across their 240 sites um, in the country as you know fitness fans were raring to go after lockdown restrictions were eased and that got me intrigued because I was kind of fearing a little bit just a tad for some of these businesses like gyms hairdressers barbers nail salons maybe even tattoo parlors to some extent whereby you know during lockdown I think people kind of figured out innovative ways to kind of still engage in those self-improvement activities so if you want to learn some new workouts for example all you have to do really is go on youtube maybe even a tiktok video there's stuff on that um influencers will pertain to those types of things so if you want it you can get it if you want to know how to cut your hair if you wanted to know how to cut your hair during lockdown yeah youtube videos there's plenty on that type of stuff you know fades shape-ups dyeing your hair styling it in any particular way so i was kind of i'm kind of happy that you know people are still really like um demanding some of those services that they missed from before even though there are um other alternatives that they can kind of pursue that kind of save them money as well you know if you want to cut your own hair blah 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 watch on youtube whatever but you know, maybe you did a bad job and now you just want to get back to a professional who does it for you. So, yeah. But, yeah, it seems like people don't... It hasn't de- deterred them from going back to those um, services that they did before. Which is good for some of these businesses, of course, like gyms. So, to summarise the microeconomic effects, it seems like things are looking up. And we actually got a sneak preview into this following data last month that showed UK business activity. I know this episode is specifically looking at England, but uh, this was UK business activity, which increased at the fastest pace since August last year, bolstered by new orders and a rebound in confidence in anticipation of easing lockdown restrictions. And that's the key, isn't it? Confidence. Whether it is business confidence or consumer confidence. Because this proposal of a reopening economic uh, roadmap is essentially worth nothing without confidence. Because without it, no company is investing and no consumer is spending, etc. And the spiral goes on and on. When it comes to the broader macroeconomic effects of England's lockdown easing program, again, just like with microeconomics, we will assess three specific factors, trying to understand what is happening since reopening and what to expect in the near future. And by the way, all of these factors are pretty familiar. They include one, unemployment slash employment, two, inflation, and then finally three, GDP. So point number one, unemployment slash employment. And the big thing here for me is the fact that schools have reopened again. Now, this was literally the first step of the four point plan with students being reinvited back into their schools uh, last month on the 8th of March. 
And this is a big deal. Don't get it twisted. Particularly for parents, even more critically for women, because they have almost had to sacrifice their everyday working lives, and even in some cases lose their jobs in order to cater for their children, in terms of childcare duties, and even pitching in as substitute teachers on the kitchen table at home. But now that the government is reopening schools, this kind of alleviates pressure on parents, and they can now return back to their workplaces. And that is exactly why you saw the government trying to keep schools open at all costs, like it seemed like throughout the past year. Aside from that, we also have supply and demand dynamics, particularly in the labour market. So, on the demand side, we of course have the business community who are really buoyant at the moment. You know, they're seeing a pickup in business activity. You know, great anticipation from consumers and households about、um, lockdown being eased, and they of course have to satisfy that demand that's coming in, that pent up demand that's coming in. And one way to do that is to hire more workers, and which brings me over nicely to the supply side. You know, the supply side also will feel more confident that you know, if particularly if you've been long term unemployed over the past year,、um, I saw some statistics that said、um, there's over three hundred thousand people in the UK who've been long term unemployed. So people been out of a job for one year or more. So. They might feel more confident that they might be able to gain something, you know, something substantial and useful、um, to bring them out of out of the situation that they find themselves in. So, both on the supply and demand dynamics, you know, this is a positive on all fronts. And we actually saw this play out in real time with the latest unemployment figures, which came out、um, only about what earlier this week on Tuesday. Which showed that the unemployment rate in the UK actually fell to four point nine percent, despite coronavirus restrictions. So it's now below five percent, and of course, this is in large part to that great anticipation from businesses that they need to satisfy that pent up demand that's coming in from consumers and households. And one way to do that is to hire more workers、um, to do so. Now, one of the great debates in economics right now is inflation. So, once lockdown restrictions are surely but slowly easing, what will the business community do? Are prices going to come down so that they can entice people to come through the door, or? Because of this pent up demand from consumers and households, and that huge amount of savings they've amassed over the past year or so, will we actually see prices go up、um, in anticipation of the lockdown easing? That is the great debate in economics right now. So far, price rises have been patchy. So take for example haircuts. They now cost more after salons reopened last July in the summer,、uh, besieged by customers but burdened by you know personal protective equipment, PPE costs, 
and social distancing requirements. Remote working appears to have driven up prices for uh, data processing equipment. Secondhand cars are selling for more because supply is down with people delaying uh, replacing their vehicles. But these have been balanced by similarly sharp price falls in areas where demand has dropped. For instance, office clothing, women's shoes, or even um, the Office National Statistics revealed pregnancy tests as well. In fact, research published by the London School of Economics, LSE, shows that prices have been more volatile in the past year than at any point in the last 20. But the measure of consumer price inflation, targeted by the Bank of England, of course, stood at just 0.7% in January, even after adjustments by the Office for National Statistics to take account of the way lockdowns have skewed spending. Now, the dynamics are changing. Andrew Bailey, the Bank of England governor, told um, the BBC, he was on an interview, I think it was a few weeks ago, that inflation would start to rise towards the uh, central bank's 2% target in the next two to three months. But he saw no evidence to say, you know, it would rise to maybe 4 or 5% level that could, you know, threaten price stability, which is, of course, one of their mandates. And even if prices do or inflation does go up to 4 5% level, those effects are likely to be temporary and probably offset by a stronger pound and which will curb import costs. The real issue is how far spending from consumers surges as lockdown restrictions ease and how far companies are able to meet that demand without raising prices. Now, in terms of uh, monetary policy implications, the Bank of England is unlikely to worry about, you know, temporary mismatches of demand and supply as the economy reopens. You know, Andrew Bailey, the governor, has on numerous occasions signaled that the risk is more for persistent hit to supply if, you know, structural changes such as the shift to remote working, working from home and online retail leave people with the wrong skills for the jobs available and if companies are tied up in the wrong locations. So in effect, no one really knows how this will play out. There is a wide range of estimates for the degree of you know, permanent damage to the UK's potential output, the amount the economy can produce without fueling inflation. And, you know, I kind of feel sorry for the ONS as well, because it won't be easy to actually measure inflation from, you know, airline tickets to cinema tickets. The Office for National Statistics has been unable to collect prices over the past year, as it usually would. And consumer spending patterns have been far from typical. So good luck to the ONS in gathering the data surrounding this because, yeah, it won't be pretty easy. Okay, finally, GDP. Now, this is pretty easy, really. Um, you know, if you look at the makeup of the English economy and indeed the United Kingdom economy, it's largely a consumer-based economy. 
uh, consumer facing economy. Um, it's services orientated. So the fact that non essential retail, uh, pubs, restaurants, the hospitality industry, travel and tourism, um, are reopening back again can only be a positive in that sense. And the key here will be consumption. Consumption will be the key driver um, of GDP in the from you know once things are reopening back again as they started last week and into the near future. And I fully expect record-setting numbers on the second quarter GDP numbers that will come out for April, May, and June, which will be a big contrast to what we saw last year in 2020 whereby GDP in the second quarter fell by something like 20%. So don't be surprised if it's 20% to the upside this time round in the second quarter of 2021. Consumption will be the key driver, as I say, of GDP um, as, you know, that pent-up demand really comes to the, to the fore. And yeah, we're already seeing it. You know, we saw record footfalls, um, as I mentioned before, with non-essential retail and this concept of revenge shopping, etc. Yeah, consumption is just going to be roaring back. You know, uh, the Bank of England's chief economist, Andy Haldane, called it a rip-roaring recovery. Yeah, I kind of agree with him. That will be the key when it comes to GDP. Overall, net-net, this is a positive. Why? Because... For once, there is a concrete plan in place that provides a pathway to find the light at the end of the tunnel. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see if this translates into genuine micro and macroeconomic momentum for England and indeed the whole of the United Kingdom. I fully expected to do so, but I want to get your thoughts, your insight into the reopening roadmap that was outlined by the Prime Minister. Do you feel you know, optimistic or pessimistic about the outlook for the UK economy, the English economy going forward, uh, the reopening plan? Do you think it's you know, going a bit too fast, too slow? You know, positives, negatives, get in your thoughts, hashtag economics echo to join in the conversation. Well, that has been it for episode 40 of the Economics Echo podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed dissecting the micro and macro economic effects of the reopening roadmap in England. Be sure to subscribe from your favorite podcast provider and join us next week as we analyze the European Super League that lasted about 48 hours or something like that. Was it just a case of greedy owners or trying to save football as we know it? Until then, this is Economics Echo, signing out. Peace.